Please uh, open your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, uh, by the way, I'd love to get you a Bible and um, come see me after the worship service. Let's read verses 1 through 13. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and her colt, and the colt, and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. So such a, um, it's a familiar story, and it's one that is deeply, deeply symbolic. And Jesus um, definitely lived in reality and did very real things, truly healing people, changing their lives in a very real and physical way. There are a few times when Jesus does or says something very symbolic, as well as these real actions that he carried out. Um, And we're pretty familiar with some of the symbolic things that he says, especially in the Gospel of John when he's talking about the using I am, I am something um, to reveal something symbolically about himself. I'm the light, I'm the true vine, I am the gate, I'm the good shepherd. And then there are a few stories like this one where Jesus does something very symbolic. There's this symbolic display in addition to some of the symbolic things that Jesus says. And and maybe this is the most famous of the symbolic stories where we see something symbolically acted out. Um, So I want to look at the symbolism of this, uh, this story. And I want to think through what was Jesus revealing through this symbolic entry into Jerusalem? What was he revealing? why he revealed it, and what is the result of what he revealed, okay? So what did Jesus reveal on this entry into Jerusalem? When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, he was revealing he was king. 
He's revealing, I am the king. Matthew is very clear about this, isn't he? When he writes, this is in fulfillment of what the prophet Zechariah uh, wrote. When Zechariah wrote, look, your king is coming to you. And the king will be riding on the donkey, on the donkey, on, on, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I mean, it's very clear that Matthew is saying, Jesus is revealing that he is king. And there are other things that Jesus does to reveal that he is king. For one, he makes it um, abundantly clear that he is completely in charge of this. Uh, he tells his disciples, I want you to go into this town ahead of you, and I, you're going to find uh, a donkey and her colt tethered up, and uh, you're going to grab those, and you're going to bring them to me. And I think that's a little strange. You know, the disciples might have been thinking, we're just going to go in there and grab these donkeys? And Jesus says, well, if someone confronts you, then just say, well, the Lord needs them, and keep keep on your way. And it would be a little bit like Jesus uh, telling his disciples if this were happening today. You know, go into, go into town, you'll see a car parked under a tree. It won't be locked. The keys will be in the ignition, and we just want to start it up and drive it on over here. And if someone says, wait, that's my car, what you doing? You say, oh, look, the Lord needs it, you know. Uh, <laughs> it'll be all right, <laughs> Jesus is saying. Uh, everything just happens as Jesus dictates it. He's completely in charge. He's the king. It's a fascinating story. And it's there because why? Because Jesus decided it was time to go public with, fully public with who he is. Uh, Certainly you're familiar with the stories where Jesus uh, would heal someone earlier in the Gospels. And then he'd say, all right, don't tell anyone. (laughs) He cast out a demon. And the person was thrilled and, and wants to follow Jesus. And to, you know, keep, keep the lid on this. Um, and, um, you know, I've, I've wondered about that. And, and I've thought, Jesus, let the news spread like wildfire. I mean, the world needs to know about you. Don't keep a lid on it. Uh, why? Well, Jesus knew earlier that there would be consequences um, of his popularity growing. He knew that uh, there would be huge crowds that would follow him, and that would make life difficult if huge crowds were following him. Um, Parents, you may have uh, tried to find a nice, quiet place at your house sometime. You have kids all around, and uh, it's hard to get stuff done. It's hard to have a little quiet moment for yourself. And when there's nowhere to run, where do you run to in the house? Well, you run into the bathroom, right? And you hide in the bathroom, and you've done that. Um, to get away from the crowds. And Jesus knew what would happen when he went fully public. And there would be these huge crowds, just like there was on that Palm Sunday. Huge crowds following Jesus. And with those huge crowds following Jesus, he knew that the Roman authorities and the Jewish religious leaders would have felt more pressure to try to get rid of Jesus. Um, I try to kill him. You might think, too, the story of Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. And when Jesus' mother told Jesus, hey, the, the hosts have run out of wine. Why don't you do something about it? And Jesus said, woman, my 
the hour, I have it on the screen. Uh, Why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. The hour that Jesus is referring to there is not the hour of his popularity or his fame. It's not, he's not saying, hey, the hour of everyone to start following me has not come. That is not what Jesus is saying. Uh, he meant the hour of my death has not come. See, Jesus knew that the countdown to his death would be accelerated the more people knew of his power. But now, this Sunday, Jesus writing in Jerusalem, he says, it's time. He knew his death would be in just a few days. And he's saying, it's time that everyone knows that I am king. And so he orchestrates this highly symbolic entrance. And Zechariah, the prophet from the Old Testament, has already set the stage. Say to daughter Zion, Zechariah writes, and that's Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. On a colt the full of a donkey. So unmistakably, beyond a shadow of doubt, Jesus is saying, I am king through this symbolic act. Now, why did he reveal this about himself? Well, it's because Jesus knows this. Jesus is the king that we need, and Jesus knows this. Matthew says there's this great crowd around Jesus, and they spread out their cloaks and took their branches and spread them on the ground. Um, And that was, in that time, a a way to um, greet. People would greet a, a victorious king or a victorious warrior, hero returning from battle. They'd spread out their cloaks and branches on the ground. Um, But the crowds in this story are doing something else as well. Look at verse 9. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And if you have one of those older translations, like maybe the New American Standard, the King James, um, think you won't have the word shouted in your translation, but cried. And that's really what that word shouted meant. meant. meant a cry. It meant a shriek. This, this loud shriek expressing deep emotion from your gut. That's what the word shouted meant. And it, it's from the, the Greek word um, krazo. If you were there on that, that Sunday entrance into Jerusalem, if you were there, and if you did this while Jesus was coming in, yay, Jesus, yay, that wasn't krazo. That's not krazo. That's not, even if you were to shout, hey, that's not krazo. I mean, with Paul Branches up, in our sanctuary. That was a great moment, singing and waving palm branches. That was not Crazo. That was not what the crowds were doing. They were shrieking, Hosanna! Not a cheer, but this cry, Hosanna! Listen, I want to point out, let's do a little Bible study here. Here's other times that this word Crazo appears in the Gospel of Matthew. Just listing them on the screen for you. Here's when it occurs. Uh, chapter 8, verse 29, it's when demons are crying out at Jesus. And they're not cheering, yay, Jesus. They're crying out at Jesus. 927, blind men crying out to Jesus, heal us. 
14, uh, verse 26, disciples thinking that Jesus is a ghost, and they're crying out, it's a ghost! 14.30, Peter is walking on water. He starts to sink and drown, and he cries out to Jesus, Crazo. Chapter 15, 22 and 23, mom crying to Jesus about her demon-possessed daughter, save her. 20, verses 30 and 31, two blind men crying out to Jesus. Chapter 27, verse 23, the crowds shouting, crucify him. 27, verse 50, Jesus crying at his death. That's crazo. It's not, yay. It's just this, this deep emotional shriek. It's an intense word. Very visceral moments, right? And they're shrieking out Hosanna. That word means save now. <laughs> save us. It's what you shout out when you're in absolute distress. And Jesus knows this. He knows that people need him as a king. Have you ever been to that level of distress or desperation? Have you ever cried out, Lord, save, save? Um, sometimes we just don't see the urgency. Sometimes you might, you might, you might be going through a, a difficult time right now. Um, you may have been through a difficult time, and know, yeah, I need, I need God to step in and save. This past weekend's been uh, a difficult one for my family. We actually had a, a, a good friend um, from when we lived in Northwest Houston for twelve years, um, Pastor Me Church, um, who was killed. Um, while he was trying to help another motorist who was in a car accident, and apparently the accident must have looked pretty severe and dramatic, and uh, my friend was with his wife. Um, this, you know, he's just a good friend of mine. Um, it's just a good friend. Susan, my oldest daughter, and his daughter were best friends growing up. Um, and as he was racing across on foot the feeder road of the Katy Freeway. He was hit by a car and was killed. Um, and it just shows you that if you're not desperate now, there's going to be a, a day. There's going to be a time when you are desperate. You never know when that time is going to happen, but it'll happen. That's a guarantee. We, we live in a, in, a, in a world of desperation. And, and, and Jesus knows that. Even when we don't realize it. He knows that we need him as our king. So we know what Jesus revealed. He is the king. Why he revealed it? Because he knows we need him as a king. What's the result of this revelation of who he is. Lots, but this is the one we're going to talk about today. Um, Jesus, the king, challenges our priorities. Uh, Junior highs, if you want to head off to your discussion now, um, you can do that, and you're going to discuss how Jesus changes our priorities, um, challenges our priorities, The people were desperate 
because they were looking for a military king who would rescue them from the Roman authorities. That is why they thought they were desperate. Isn't it interesting that Jesus rode in on a donkey? I mean, he was fulfilling prophecy, right? But what was the message that Jesus was conveying as he rode in on a donkey? Because it was customary for military leaders to not come riding in on donkeys, but on a horse, on a, you know, on a stallion, something a little more impressive. Um, What was Jesus communicating? Not only riding in on a donkey, but a small donkey, right? On a colt. And not even on a donkey that he owned. He didn't own the donkey. He had to go borrow the donkey. It wasn't even his donkey that he was riding in on. What is Jesus showing to us about that? If you think about him riding on this borrowed, small donkey, it's really quite stunning. Uh, You may know this. uh, Since the late 1700s or so, whenever the king or the queen of England is coronated, they use, and I guess it hasn't happened since uh, Queen Elizabeth was coronated back in the 19-something or other, um, 48. Um, they use the, the gold state coach. And you need to Google. I don't have an image of it for you today. Uh, but go Google gold state coach, and you'll, you'll see what the king or the queen of England rides in um, for the coronations. Basically, you know, imagine a pretty impressive carriage, enclosed carriage, being dipped into a giant gold fountain and brought up, and that's, that's the, the gold state coach. It looks like it's completely just covered with gold. Um, it was built in 1760. It cost uh, 7,500 pounds, what does that come to today? Well, there's some variation of estimates I've read anywhere today. It's $10 million to $1.5 billion today. That's what the, the gold state coach uh, would be valued at. I mean, it's got tons of gold, four tons of gold on the state coach. Um, you would imagine that when Jesus, the king, rolled into town, he could have ridden something like that, couldn't he? I mean, he's he's the king of the universe. He's making his public declaration of that. He could have said, it's the gold state coach for me today. He could have done that. He didn't. Um, He had all these options. He could have ridden in maybe on a chariot instead of the gold state coach, a nice chariot, or maybe the biggest, strongest stallion in the world at that time, he could have done that. Or, or just, how about a horse? Any old horse, he could have done that. A skinny horse. Or what he rode in on this borrowed donkey. I mean, if you were in Jesus' position, what would you have rode in on? Seriously, think about that. If you had unlimited options to, to ride in on your coronation, what would you choose? You, I mean, I, maybe we wouldn't choose the gold state coach. Maybe we're a little more humble than that, but I bet you all of us would have said, well, well, at least take a horse, right? Raise your hand if you would have at least chosen a horse 
for your coronation. Jesus doesn't do that. He picks the the bottom of the list to write in on his coronation, a borrowed small donkey. What is he revealing? He is revealing that he is a king who has a completely different set of priorities than we do. What was Jesus' priority? I mean, the crowd wanted that military king. Uh, The crowd wanted Jesus' first stop to be Herod's palace and have a little overthrow there, or maybe the Roman garrison and have some soldiers behind him with swords and let's get those Romans out of here. That, that, that wasn't Jesus' first stop, or that never was Jesus' stop. Um, Jesus' first stop, what was it when he came rolling into Jerusalem? He went to the temple. And he turned over the money, cha- money changer tables. And he quotes uh, some scripture, probably was shouting this out, my house will be called a house of prayer. Jesus is showing his priority My priority is your relationship with your Heavenly Father. The people wanted a military king to save them from their enemies. And here is how Jesus challenges our priorities. Jesus gave zero attention to wrestling power from the Romans for the Jews. (laughs) And our current society excels in identifying what's wrong with the world and who's to blame? And for the Jews, it was, what's wrong with the world? It's these Romans that are in our city, and they're to blame. Caesar's to blame. Herod's to blame. Get rid of them, Jesus. And our world today, our society, excels at doing that very same thing. What's wrong with the world? Who can I blame about it? And you know what no one ever does? No one ever says, I'm to blame about it. And this is what Jesus is revealing, that there is something in us that makes us to blame for what's wrong with the world. His priority was forgiving that so that he could restore our relationship with God. As the Gospel of Luke tells this story of Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, as Jesus approaches Jerusalem, he, he's kind of coming in from, I think, it's the northeast. It's kind of a hill country um, where the Mount of Olives is. And so he's riding down. He could see Jerusalem below him. And Luke says as he sees Jerusalem below him, he weeps. He cries over Jerusalem. And he says, Luke chapter 19, verse 42, If you even you had only known on this day what, have, what would have brought you peace or what would bring you peace, If only you would have known. But now it is hidden from your eyes. And see, the Jews thought they would find peace when a military king would come lead them in battle over the Romans. But they were blind to what would really give them peace, and that is the forgiveness of their sins so that they could know that they were right with God. And as it's been said by other pastors and commentators, This is a classic example. The story is a classic example of Jesus giving to people not everything that they want, 
but instead everything that they need. One person uh, wrote about Palm Sunday that this scene is a picture of the lifelong mismatch between what you want from God and what God is providing. And, and, the, and the, the person of, that does not have faith sees God as guilty of, of shortchanging us on that. And, and the Jews are like, God, we want you to rescue us from the Romans. And Jesus says, that's not what you really need. The person without faith says, God, you're kind of skimping on us, aren't you then? The, the, the person that lacks faith says to God, God, is, it is entirely reasonable that you give me what I desire. And when God just doesn't appear interested in giving that, the lack of faith says, God, you are shorting me out. You're shortchanging me. And we struggle with this, I think. I think there's, there are plenty of things that we say, God, we really need this. We, we need that good health. Um, or we really, really want that new job. We really want that salary. We really want uh, this opportunity to come to fruition for us. We really want that girlfriend or that boyfriend. Come on, God. We really want that to happen. And when God doesn't provide that, it's pretty easy to say, God, you're just not being generous enough. Come on, God. Come on, do this for me. Have you ever felt disappointed by God? If so, you're in good company because this Jewish crowd in Jerusalem um, felt that same way that week of Jesus arriving in Jerusalem. Jesus rides in, here's the king. He's going to give us what we want, liberation from the Romans. And not only does Jesus show zero interest in that, he gets crucified by the Romans just a few days later. Um, So the short-term experience of what God provides can seem like a, a letdown. But if you're feeling that letdown right now, please remember that on this Palm Sunday, God didn't exceed everyone's expectations. He didn't exceed their expectations, and they just couldn't see it at the moment. And that is what faith is all about. Faith is all about knowing that God will exceed our expectations. We just have to see through the eyes of faith and wait a little bit longer. It's looking down the road just a little bit farther and knowing God will exceed our expectations. So give us more than what we are asking for. Tim Keller, um, really like this line from him, puts it so well. He says uh, that God will, this is the Tim Keller quote. I think I have a slide of it. Yeah. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that God knows. That's what God's going to give to us. And see, this is how Jesus is a different kind of king than every other king. Every other king has a fundamental flaw. They all lack wisdom. And, and you know the stories, the fictitious stories and the, and the real life history stories of the king or the queen that just lacks wisdom. Maybe they're pretty decent kings or queens, but there's that one little slip up. The one little lack of wisdom and judgment and then, you know, something bad happens to them or the kingdom or something like that. Even Solomon, King Solomon, who was the wisest person on the planet, he did some pretty foolish things. 
Jesus is the most and only wise, true king. And even when your best future is not clear to you, it is absolutely clear to King Jesus. And he will get you there. He will lead you there. But it's going to include changing your priorities. Winning over your enemies. Proving your enemies wrong. No, Jesus says, that's not my priority. Showing status, riding in on a stallion, that's not Jesus' priority. His priority is making you right with God through the forgiveness of your sins. So that your life will be changed and shaped by this new kingdom that you get to live in, the kingdom of God, Jesus' kingdom. And that's his number one priority. So what are the ways of his kingdom? Look at how Jesus rides into Jerusalem, humbly, right? That's one of the ways of... Jesus' kingdom, humility, serving. Um, A donkey is known as a beast of what? A beast of burden, because he's bearing the the burden of service. He's doing the work. Serving, humility, uh, those are the ways of Jesus' kingdom. And this gets us to one of the most important truths um, about this story, about... about, um, how Jesus, as king, necessarily leads to the changing of our priorities. And it's this right here. You must take Jesus as king or take him as nothing at all. Nothing at all. There, there's really no... Jesus leaves little room, no room for the middle ground here. As he, as he publicly announces, clearly, without a doubt, as he rides into Jerusalem, I am the king. And you can, a Tim Keller puts it like this, you can either crown me or you can kill me. Those are the only two options that Jesus gives to Jerusalem that day. You can't just say, ah, hey, that's great, you, you know, goofy guy. Uh, or you can't say, Jesus, um, you know, we really like you. Uh, we, we're, we're grateful that you died on the cross for our sins. Um, but we want to keep going on with our life as we would see fit. And Jesus leaves no room for that option. Verse 10 of uh, Matthew 21 says this, When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And that word stirred means shaken or, or tremble, like an earthquake. It was rocked. The city of Jerusalem was rocked in Jesus, with Jesus' entry, with all the crowd saying, Save now! The rest of the city was shaken. And if they didn't know about Jesus yet, they were about to know about. They were about to know of him. And Jesus shows him the kind of king that he is, this humble, serving king. Um, and then he says, And living in my kingdom means having your priorities shaped so that you are humble and that you are a servant, so that you show love and compassion. Um, Those are our two options. Jesus does not give us the option to appreciate him, but to worship him as king. Has your life been shaken 
by Jesus entering. Because when Jesus the King comes, there's a, there's a shaking. There's a stirring. Has that happened in your heart? It can happen now. Let's pray. Our Lord and King Jesus Christ, we, we want to kneel before you, even if it's a spiritual kneel. We kneel before you and we say, you are king. And you have shown the ultimate display of love on the cross. You've died for us. You've suffered for us horribly so that we could be made right with the living God. We thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. We, we pray that we would see how you lived, see your priorities, see the things that you worried about, and that is justice, um, concern and care for others, for the overlooked, for the oppressed, for sinners that everyone else was ignoring or um, belittling, and uh, and you showed great sacrificial love, and we pray that you would move in our hearts so that we would um, do likewise, show great sacrificial love to this world around us, um, and help us to realize our number one kingdom is your kingdom. It's not my kingdom. It's not the kingdom of my company. It's your kingdom. Um, help us to live accordingly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.